Welcome to the Columbia Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Baucom, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Now, enjoy the message. Have you ever worked really hard to get to know someone better? Like you wanted to be their friend, you wanted to be in their life, and so you went through a lot of effort to make that possible, to, to get close to them, to be their friend. There was this guy uh, when in my late teens, early 20s, and he was just the coolest guy I had ever met. What made him so cool is he didn't like being cool. He didn't like cool people. He hated the whole cool thing, which just made him cooler in my eyes. He, he dressed differently. He talked differently. He questioned the status quo. He asked good questions. He was really thoughtful. He eschewed all the norms and thought for himself. He was athletic. He was musical. He was a techie nerd. I loved it all. And I just wanted to be his best friend. And so I did whatever I could. I put a ton of effort into trying to get to know him better. But it never worked. We never hit it off. We never became besties, right? I mean, we were friendly. We liked each other. We hung out in groups. But I mean, I wanted more. I wanted like matching best friend bracelets. You know, like with the broken heart. I don't think guys wear those. But you know, like that's what I wanted. I wanted matching tattoos. I wanted like, I just wanted this guy to be in my life. He was just so cool. But uh, nothing I did ever made it work. In high school, there was this girl, and I really, really, really liked this girl. We had actually been in the same school system since kindergarten, but it wasn't until our senior year that we were sat next together in English class that I fell in love. I wanted to know this girl. I wanted to be her boyfriend. It only took two weeks for me to realize that this was the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with, right? And so I did whatever it took to get to know her better. That included listening to her gripe and complain about her loser boyfriend. (laughs) But I was sure that if I lent a compassionate listening ear, that this would cause her to fall in love with me. And so I did it, right? Finally, finally, There was an English project that we were assigned together and she invited me over her house to work on it. Now this is the kind of project that would have taken 15 minutes after school. So I thought for sure, this is a sign. So the day I drove over, I'm pulling in the driveway and I didn't know this at the time, but I pulled in, she has a pool in her backyard, kind of side backyard. And as I'm pulling in, I can see the pool and she's getting out of the pool. And it's like something from a movie. Like she gets out very slowly. It's like in slow motion, her hair behind her head. She does one of these. And like I could see the water beads moving through the air. And then it's like an overcast day and there's like this one ray of sunshine that hits her face and I go, glory beat the God in the highest. This is the day it's gonna happen. So we go inside, she goes and gets ready to to work on the project. I hang out with her mom in the kitchen and she came out. And for the rest of the afternoon, we worked on that stupid English project and talked about her horrible boyfriend. And that was the sum total of that relationship. 
No matter what I did, I could not get her to want more, to, to let me know her better and for her, for her to want to know me better. I worked so hard for her to like me, but to no avail. Have you ever experienced that? There's a couple moments in my life. It wasn't outright rejection. It wasn't just not wanting to know me at all. It just, it never became what I wanted the relationship to become. Today, I want to talk about what it takes to know God better. The efforts that we go to in order to know God better. Or maybe the efforts that God goes to in order for us to know him better. And I want to challenge you that for some of you today, you might need a breakthrough in order to know God better. The past couple of weeks, Dr. Jim's been leading us through the book of Ephesians. Not even the book yet. I mean, we've been in this series for, this is the fourth week, and we're still in chapter one, right? And, and we've been looking at Ephesians 1 through the lens of breakthrough. Dr. Jim's been saying, while we tend to think of life's progressions and declines as gradual, we're largely defined by seasons of plodding, punctuated by moments of breakthrough. Success often means walking faithfully each day, but we should also live for in preparation and expectation of the huge leaps that are possible in Christ. Jesus broke out so that we could break through. So we should always anticipate that the best is always ahead. And we've been going back to this definition every week from Merriam-Webster. It says, a sudden, a breakthrough is a sudden increase in knowledge, understanding, an important discovery that happens after trying for a long time to understand or explain something. And life in Christ is punctuated by these breakthrough moments. Yes, our discipleship journeys are, are often defined by discipline or methodical or slow daily small things. But as Dr. Jim has suggested, those things pave the runway for breakthrough. And breakthrough are the moments where God shows up in powerful ways. We take sudden leaps forward. It's the moments we talk about where we finally understand or come to a new revelation of something. Where a miracle occurs, an outpouring of the Spirit. Where something you thought couldn't change all of a sudden begins to shift. And we've been saying that resurrection, as we approach Easter, is the breakout moment that empowers breakthrough. We can break through because Jesus broke out. Because of his death and resurrection, greater things are possible for us as his followers. If you haven't memorized Romans 8.11, you need to because Paul there says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives inside of us and gives life to our mortal bodies. Inside of us who follow Jesus is resurrection power. And so with all of that in mind, I want to take a look at three verses in Ephesians 1 today. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're really only going to spend time looking at one verse because it's so packed full of meaning for our lives as followers of Jesus that we're not even going to have time to really touch the other two. All right? Sound good? You with me? All right, so here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The first thing I want to pick up on here is that Paul is sharing a prayer that he prays for the Ephesians, with the Ephesians. He says, remembering you in my prayers, what does he say? I keep asking. And what is Paul asking for? He's asking that the Ephesians would get a new revelation of God, that they would experience breakthrough. Paul here is praying for breakthrough. And like Paul, we must learn to pray for breakthrough. We got to learn to pray for breakthrough. I hear our prayers. I hear my prayers. Sometimes they're a little too safe. They're a little too easy for us to say that God answered them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not talking about when we pray for someone who's sick. I think oftentimes those are our most courageous and most bold prayers. But what about the rest of the prayers that we pray? Are they really that hard for God to accomplish? Can we really get to the end of the day and say, did God accomplish that? Like, God bless my day. Well, you live in the United States of America in 2022. I mean, if you're still breathing and you got food, you're blessed. So <laughs> God answered that prayer. Great job, God, right? I, we, we sometimes pray prayers that are just too easy. They, they don't require God to intervene or to move. Uh, God guide me. Well, what, what did God, can you get to the end of the day and say, did God guide me today? Well, maybe, maybe not. Or there, sometimes our prayers are just so simple. Like we pray, don't get me wrong, these prayers are good, but sometimes we pray for traveling mercies just too much. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's praying for traveling mercies. Now I get it. If it was 1356 and you had to ride a horse for three days and on the gravel road and there's bandits everywhere and you're praying that Robin Hood's gonna protect you or whatever, then you need traveling mercies. But people, you got a seatbelt, you got an airbag, you got stop lights, you got stop signs. You, you got these big old cars that are like tanks. They're going to protect you, right? Now, should we pray for God to protect us? Yes. And if I get in a car accident on the way home, y'all are all going to beat me up, right? But, but in general, like we can get in the car and say, God, keep us safe or on this journey. And, and it's pretty guaranteed that God's going to answer that prayer, right? Because it's pretty safe. Now, should we pray those prayers? Yes, yes, there's nothing wrong with these prayers, but are we praying breakthrough prayers? I love what Mark Batterson says in his book, The Circle Maker. He says this, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Now, disclaimer, I did not say that. I just thought it was a cool quote. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm that bold, but he's that bold, so I quoted him, all right? But I want that kind of prayer life. I want to pray for the, the simple things and the daily things, but I also want to pray breakthrough prayers where if God doesn't move or God doesn't intervene, it's not going to happen. And this prayer from Paul to the Ephesians, for the Ephesians. It's a breakthrough prayer. He's asking God to show them his glory. Are you praying breakthrough prayers? Mark Bodderson also said, 
in another book related to the circle maker, he said that I believe that every blessing, every breakthrough, every miracle traces back to the prayers that were prayed by you or for you. Are you praying for breakthrough? Especially in relation to knowing God better. I love that the translators of this passage in the NIV translated this, to, this verse to say, I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe for you this morning, maybe can I ask you, have you lost your keep? Have you lost the keep that you keep asking? Maybe you were asking and, and you got tired of asking. Or maybe it was a part of your discipline to ask and pray bold prayers, pray for breakthrough, but it just fell off your routine. Or maybe, and I think this is true for a lot of us, you were praying a breakthrough prayer and God didn't answer. God didn't show up. And your disappointment, your hurt, maybe even your anger caused you to stop praying bold prayers and believing God for impossible things. Maybe this morning some of us need to find our keep again. Your determination, your perseverance, your faith. The second thing I pick up on this passage is this. The names are the titles that Paul uses to talk about God here. They're, they're a little peculiar to me. Let's look at them again. Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, or a lot of translations say the Father of glory. Now both of these titles are an interesting way to put it. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not... Our God, what's the differentiation there? We don't have time to get into that, but that, that's worth a study. Look at how uh, Paul speaks about, um, about God also in verse 3. He says something similar. It's worth a deeper study. But the, the glorious Father part struck me. I didn't recognize that as a title that Paul often uses to talk about God. In fact, I didn't recognize it as a title that's used all throughout Scripture. And in my search throughout Scripture, I really couldn't find it. There's one place, and we'll take a look at that in a second. But for the most part, this is not a name or a title that is often given to God. It's unique, and it's unique. This made me ask, why did Paul say it like this? Glorious Father or Father of glory. Well, let's first talk about God's glory, okay? And that's kind of a joke because... We don't have enough time to talk about God's glory. What is God's glory? Well, all the pages ever written by theologians, pastors, lay leaders, uh, whoever, professors over the years, monks, nuns, none of it has come even close to fully describing God's glory. We don't have enough time in this sermon, much less this sermon series, much less the sermons for the rest of the year to begin to encapsulate the glory of God. But when we try, we use words like his awesomeness or his uniqueness, his perfection, his majesty. It's the aura of everything that he is. It's his power, his overwhelming power and love. It's often a word, his God's glory is often used to describe God's physical presence in the Old Testament. 
Sometimes I like to think of it like the sun, like being right in front of the sun. Can you imagine the power of that, the heat, the awesomeness, and then times that by a billion and you still are not at God's glory. It's the overwhelming sense that he is God. When Moses got near God's glory, near God's glory, he didn't see God's glory, but he was near God's glory, When he was getting the Ten Commandments, the scripture tells us he came off that mountain and his face was shining so brightly he had to put a veil over his face as not to blind those who were looking at him. In Exodus 33, scripture tells us that Moses actually asked, God, show me your glory. And God said, if I do, you'll die. No one can be in the presence of my glory. So he lets him see God's backside, where God was, but he can't see God's glory. And in Romans 6, 4, Scripture tells us just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, what? Through the glory of the Father. His presence has, it's everything. It's resurrection power. It's his beauty, his perfection, his grace. It is what makes him God. So when I think of the names of God or the titles of God that I would connect to the word glory, Father's not the first one that comes to mind, and often it's not the first one, it's not the one we often see in Scripture. I would think king of glory. King and glory, they go together well. That describes well his glory. Or lord of glory, that that does a good job of summing up or, or connecting to the word glory, or even just the word God of glory. But Paul here uses the word father, and he uses it on purpose, I think, because father implies relationship. Lord of glory, it doesn't imply relationship. King of glory, God of glory, it doesn't imply relationship. But father implies relationship. A father gives. A father shares. A father passes on. And I think Paul means to communicate that the father of glory wants to share his glory with his children. I think the father of glory wants to share his glory with his children. Paul didn't accidentally call him God the Father of glory. Multiple times throughout Ephesians 1, he was bringing up God's glory so that it was already in their mind. In verse 6, look at it. To the praise of his what? Glorious grace. Verse 12. We who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his right? Verse 14, to the praise of his. He wants glory in the minds of the readers because when he gets to this place, he is praying that the father of glory share his glory with his children. Now, if you don't buy this, let me try to prove this a little further by looking at another of Paul's writings. In 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, Paul says this, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, you know what he's talking about there? The Ten Commandments, right? If the Ten Commandments came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, this is what we were just talking a second ago, Exodus 34, Moses had to cover his face after being in the presence of God transitory though that moment was, 
will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation, the law, the Ten of Commandments, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. How much more glory? For what was glorious has no glory. Now, in comparison with the surpassing glory, and if it, what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which was last? Yeah. What's Paul doing here? Paul's juxtaposing the glory that we saw that Scripture tells us about that, that Moses experienced in the Old Testament that came with the law and the law which puts us in bondage. He's juxtaposing that with the glory that's now available in the righteousness through Christ. The Spirit's now given access to the glory. And he's saying, if that was glorious, if Moses' face was gleaming from that, how much more should those of us who have the Spirit be glowing because of the glory of God that we experience now? So he continues, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, contemplate's not the best word there. Other translations say uh, reflects, or the literal Greek says beholding as in a mirror. And so Paul's saying, and we all who with unveiled faces who reflect, or behold as in a mirror, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now let's jump back to Ephesians. Paul in Ephesians calls him the father of glory because this father wants to share his glory with his children. He wants to transform them into his image with an ever increasing glory. The Father of glory wants to share his glory with you. That's a powerful, powerful thought. Something we need to chew on. And something that I think probably the Ephesians, and when they read it and thinking about God's glory, are like, what? What's he talking about here? Let's continue on. Now, have you ever discovered... Uh, Knowing the difference between knowing a lot about something and knowing something. You know, you know what I mean when I say this? You can know a lot about something, but till you're in it, you don't know if you really know it. Uh, for example, when I was 16, I, I volunteered on a, a rescue squad. I don't know why they let me do it, but I was 16. They let me volunteer for a rescue squad. I guess they needed volunteers. And man, I jumped all in. I had the, like the, the pants with the thing, the, all the pockets. I had steel toe boots. I had trauma shears. I bought a $200 stethoscope. I had a, like a little go bag in the trunk of my car. I studied. I studied. I had the shirt. Look at that, huh? You're asking why I kept it. That's, I got issues. Okay. No, I, my mom cleaned out during the pandemic and she brought it back to us. And I didn't know what to do with it because so much work, so much money went into this era of my life. I even had the red light that you plug into your cigarette lighter and put on the top of your car. 16 years old. 
Why did my mom let me do this? Any of you have 16-year-olds driving? Can you imagine giving them that light? I never abused it, I promise, though my friends tried to plug it in and use it, but I, we never did. But I had a little pager that go off all the time. Man, I was all in on this. I knew everything about the ambulance, what every button did. I knew how to change the oxygen. I knew everything from the book. I became an EMT. Don't anybody keel over in front of me, though, because I'm not anymore. <laughs> I don't remember nothing, but I knew it all. I was an expert until the first time I had to do CPR. And I realized I knew nothing, that I was an adrenaline junkie who had learned a lot of facts, and that in fact, I wanted to know nothing else about medicine. So to those of you who who do this, I'm grateful for you, but it was not for me, right? I knew a lot about it, but I knew I didn't know it. Another example is when I got married. I knew a lot about marriage until I got married. Then I realized how little I knew. Or better yet, I was an expert on parenting until I had kids, right? right? I was a youth pastor for years. I helped parents deal with their problematic teenagers for years. I was an expert on parenting. And my wife, she'd been a children's pastor for years. She had helped parents with their kids. So by the, we had PhDs in parenting. Then we had kids and realized that PhD meant for pound head in dirt, because that's how much we knew about parenting. I think what Paul is praying for here is people who know a lot about God to begin to really know God and to know him better. Again, look at Ephesians 1.17. What does he pray? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father, or the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Remember that word wisdom. And revelation, so that you may know him better. He's praying that the Ephesians would have a breakthrough where they go from knowing about God to knowing God. That they have a revelation of who he is. That they experience his glory. Receiving the spirit of wisdom and revelation is a breakthrough moment where one goes from knowing about God to knowing him better. Again, if you don't buy it, let me try to prove it further by looking at another of Paul's writings where he fleshes this out even more. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, he says this, We do, however, speak a message of what? Wisdom. Whose wisdom? God's wisdom. This is that the same, the same wisdom he's talking about in Ephesians 1.17, he's talking about here. So we speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined, come on church, for whose glory? For whose glory? Our glory. Before time even began, he destined it for our glory. Then he continues on. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us. What did it reveal? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind can conceive. That's what he's revealed to us. 
And how did he do it? Look it. By his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even in the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 1, what spirit is Paul asking God to give to the Ephesians? God's Spirit. And who knows the the thoughts of God? The Spirit of God. Then verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, so that we may understand, so that we may know what God has freely given us. The Father of glory has planned since the beginning of time to share his glory, that awesomeness, that unexplainable, that thing that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine. That's what God, by his spirit, wants to share and give to his people. Receiving the spirit of wisdom and revelation is a breakthrough moment where we go from knowing about God to knowing him better. We go from knowing about God to knowing him. God wants us to experience a breakthrough where we know him, where we experience his glory, where we are transformed by his glory. This is not a safe prayer from Paul. This is a bold prayer, a breakthrough prayer. Paul is asking for God to share his glory with his people. I just want to say, for those of you who have experienced a powerless gospel, a gospel that's defined by rules and simple morality, a gospel that's defined simply by knowledge transfer, then I hope that this morning you get a glimpse of how inefficient, how minuscule that gospel is. Paul's not talking about simple knowledge transfer of God. He's not talking about a religion of simple morality. He's not talking about a powerless gospel. Paul is saying that the sum total of who God is which cannot be explained, that he, God, wants to share that glory with his people who follow him. That by the power of his spirit in some unexplained way, his people would experience and be transformed by his glory. That You want to talk about experiencing something transcendent, something beyond this world, something mysterious. That is the gospel that Paul's describing, that he believes is the true gospel. Let me close with this last point. And this last point that I pick up from this passage, I mean, I almost hesitate to do it because it's like, it's so obvious that, of course, anybody would, preach this point if they were preaching this sermon. But the truth is so profound that if you allow it to sink in, I believe that it's a paradigm shifting 
identity-altering, life-transforming truth that can be a catalyst for breakthrough in many of our lives. Here is the simple truth that we pick up on this passage. We can know God because God makes himself known. Just sit with that for a second. The only reason we can know God is because God wants us to. Because God made himself known to us. Those stories I shared at the beginning of the service. The, the guy. I so desperately wanted to know him. And for him to want to know me. But no matter what I did, I could not force that to happen. I, I couldn't, through my efforts, make him my best friend. And that girl, the truth is I wanted to date that girl. I wanted to know her more and I wanted her to know me more. But no matter what I did, I couldn't make it happen. And for too many of us, this is how we relate to God. We relate to God like we are the ones who are doing the pursuing. But the truth that we hear, see here in Scripture and throughout Scripture is that the only reason we even know who God is is because God desires for us to know him. He's the one pursuing. He's the one initiating. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to know him. He wants to share his glory with you. It's not a question of how much you strive to know him, though there's a place for that. But the truth is, you only know him because he wants you to. He's the initiator. Again, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18 again. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. He's the actor. He's the main character. He's the one doing, not us. We're the ones receiving from the Spirit. Or in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1.17, who's the actor? Who's the one doing, taking the initiative? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give. God is the one giving the revelation of who he is to his people. You can know God because he wants you to know him. He's the initiator. He's the pursuer. You're the responder. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Would you begin praying Ephesians 1.17 over your life? Would you begin to pray this scripture over your life? I don't know if you do this, but from time to time, I'll take a prayer or something in scripture and I'll, and I'll change the pronouns to, to contextualize it for me. And I'll begin praying that which is truth, that which is in Scripture. It's a, it's a godly thing. And I'll begin to replace it with my name or with me or I. And so my challenge to you is this. Would you begin to pray Ephesians 1.17? So it would look like this or it would sound like this. Father of glory, give me the spirit of wisdom. And revelation so that I may know you better. The QR code is I made a little graphic that for me, if it's on my phone, I'll see it because I might use my phone a little too much. I don't know about you, maybe not, but so the QR code, and you can go grab it online and rewatch it, is just a, it's a photo that you can use as a lock screen on your phone. Would you begin to pray, Father of glory, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know you better. 
I believe that if some of us start praying this prayer, you're going to reprogram, reprogram your thoughts. You're going to begin to see that it is God who makes himself known to you and that he desires to make himself known to you and that you respond to his breaking through in your life. I believe for some of us, if we start praying this, it's going to create a hunger to know God's glory, to long for God's glory, to say, like Moses said, God, show me your glory, except the difference is that he will and he can. Because of the work of Jesus. And I believe if we start praying this for ourselves, that we'll all in turn want to start praying it for our neighbors, for our friends, for those who don't know Jesus, for our family. And we'll start asking God to reveal himself to them too. And so will you do this with me? Could you put that slide back on the screen? And let's just pray this prayer out loud together this morning. Father of glory, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know you better. Let's do it again. Father of glory, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I may know you better. Jesus broke out so that we could break through. And one of the greatest breakthroughs of all of time is that humanity can know God is that God wants to share his glory with us. And so I pray for a breakthrough for you, that the Father of glory give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's pray. Father, what a bold prayer that Paul prays. May we in turn internalize that prayer May we pray that prayer and may we experience your glory. Maybe we should pray that with caution because we really don't even fully understand what that means. But we know that it's what you want. That that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, your glory, you want to reveal that. To us. You want to transform us by that glory. You want to transform us into that glory. And so, Father, we simply say, Have your way. Break through in our lives today, we pray. And we pray this, and we can even begin to pray this because of the powerful work of Jesus. And so, it is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Now you go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Mesher watching the world. Have a blessed week. We'll see you back next week. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro DC or Northern Virginia area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to ColumbiaBaptist.org. That's ColumbiaBaptist.org.